0: Amen. Thank you, sister. Thank you, sister. I appreciate um, the prayer. Well, God bless you. Um, I want to ask that we turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. I'll give a bit of um, time just for you to turn there. I know some of us have our phones, um, and that's fine. Um, I'm not going to say don't use your phones, um, but I would encourage you to get um, an act- like an actual paper Bible. Um, I just think it would... Um, it's more beneficial, I think, I personally like having the the actual book in my hands, you know, paper, and um, there's something about it that I think is unique, and um, so again, Luke chapter 11, when you have it, uh, please say amen, like type in the chat, let me know that you have it. Give a little bit of time just so that you guys can get there. <clears throat> just type in the chat, amen. Okay, Um, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I'll begin reading. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Excuse me, I forgot to record. Recording in progress. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as john taught his disciples he said to them when you pray say father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation verse 5 then jesus said to them suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say friend, lend me three loaves of bread A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need." how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? <clears throat> Amen. So, I, I want to um, be very thorough in our examination of of this text today. Um, because there's a lot to unpack here. And if we're very fast in our reading of this text, we're going to miss a lot that it actually is capable of providing us and one of the things about the Word of God that we have to take note of is that there are no mistakes in the scriptures so that even to the smallest even to the smallest words we have to be mindful of the fact that it is intended to communicate some truth to us and it is relevant to the the whole passage as a whole um, so to begin with, I want us to begin uh, take our look at verse one. It says, "One day Jesus was praying in a certain place." I want to stop there for a minute because I believe that this echoes what Jesus also taught us in Matthew chapter six, verse six, regarding having a um, a particular place, namely the closet of prayer. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But notice right there in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room. And that room is a secret place. That is the inner chambers, so to speak, um, where you continually meet the Lord in if I believe that this place that Jesus continued to resort to was the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, the reason why I say this is because when he was arrested, Judas knew where he would be. And so by implication, Jesus had spent a lot of time there. You know, if I want to find an alcoholic, I can bet you I'll find him at a bar. You, you get what I'm saying? If I, if, uh, you know, if, I wanted to look for Brother Kezron in Arkansas, I'd, I'd go to a, a basketball court <laughs> <laughs> or the gym, right? That's where I'd find him. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- there are certain places that we know where to find people, <clears throat> and they knew that Jesus was praying, right? So that means he spent a lot of time doing this. Um, <clears throat> so he, get, he says, go to a certain place. So, a certain place means it is a particular place. It's not just any place. And this would also also lend us to the idea that the atmosphere, uh, the the reason why we need a certain place is because the atmosphere in which we pray in is important. I'm not going to go to the darkest place so that I can commune with the Lord. Right? Right? Because if, if we're spiritual by any stretch of the imagination, I'm sure that we have recognized certain times in our, in our private lives where we have sensed an, an immense and overwhelming power of darkness. And it's not in those places that we want to pray. We want places that are sanctified. And there are certain places that are cursed, and there are certain places that are sanctified unto the Lord. Uh, your home should be sanctified unto the Lord. And that serves as a place for you to continually resort to, right? Um, And that's why, now if I want to intercede or if I want to combat the forces of darkness, then it's those places that I will go. I will go into the trenches to pray against darkness, right? But we're talking about communion with God. We're talking about private prayer, and, and a relational prayer. And so this will behoove us to go to a place that is disinfected of evil. Uh, where the atmosphere is sanctified. And atmospheres are important. And atmospheres are largely made up of, of, of spirits or people present. That's why when Jesus went to go perform a, particular, a certain miracle... Um, he excluded those who were unbelievers because he did not want unbelief to uh, contaminate the atmosphere and i've I've used this analogy before when there is no hunger, there is no desire, there is no earnest uh desire for the Lord and people begin to assemble together they they as a consequence, the heavens become brass and the heavens are locked up and and there's no flow of the spirit because heaven only activates its blessings when hearts on earth are hungry and believing amen amen and so Um, that's why we should not be a pool that is inclusive of everybody for particular activities. When it comes to prayer, either you believe in its activity or you don't. If you don't, you will hamper the Spirit's work. And the the same applies to gifts and the prophetic. There are certain people that I see absolutely nothing for. And the heavens become as brass. And the reason for that is because they are so closed off. They, they, they're not, they're so complacent, so indifferent that they, they don't have any desire for God. Um, and you know, it's interesting because the Lord will, will actually speak to an unbeliever who's lost before he will speak to a lukewarm believer. You know, just last night I went to a taco truck, and and I I, uh, I I got a word for the the guy who was working at the taco truck. He's an unbeliever, but he, you you can I, I can I'm always surprised by how unbelievers are so and uh, like in awe and and so grateful. To hear the Word of God and to hear, you know, words spoken over their life when it comes to pew soakers, they, they're not interested. Like, I I, I I, love speaking to people who are actually broken, who don't know about the Lord, rather than pew soakers. Amen. Because it's a dangerous place to become so accustomed to God That you just shrug your shoulders and it's like, eh, it's just Jesus. But nevertheless, this is why certain places are important when we pray. Um, Following, it says, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, now notice this, he said, when he finished. So guess what? Stop speaking to people when they pray. I've seen this, it's ridiculous. It's like, oh, oh, excuse me, I'm just speaking to the King of the Universe. Let me interrupt my communion with Him to speak with you. There's no reverence for God. Um, <clears throat> when He finished. And so, they were, you know, there's a reason why they, they spoke to Him when He finished. It, it's it's uh, irreverent. To interrupt people when they're praying. You know, m- my son knows when daddy's praying, you don't say a word. Unless it's an emergency, right? Um, but even if it's an emergency, depending on the nature of the emergency and how immediate it is, we're probably going to be praying about it. <laughs> right? Um, so, <coughs> but there was something glorious about his life. And notice that um, they did not say, um, Lord, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before, they did not say, Lord, teach us to preach. They did not say, teach us to cast out demons or teach us to prophesy. And all of those things are good. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that. There's a, there's books on it. There's classes on it. There's You know, people need to be mentored and stuff like that. However, what good is it if I know how to cast out demons, but I don't know how to pray? What good is it if I can do all these things, I can even preach, I can even win a soul and evangelize, but when it comes to my personal life, I am deficient. I remember Richard Baxter in his great book, The Reformed Pastor. He says, uh, uh, Beware that after you have uh, offered to men the bread of the manna of heaven, you will uh, have found yourselves to be famished of the very manna that you proclaim to others and feed others with. May it not be the case that we are famished or impoverished? with the very riches we proclaim to the world. May we be filled. It, it is the Lord's will for you to be enriched by His presence, for you to be enriched with, with Him, enamored with Him, in all of Him. God forbid that we should ever come to the place to where we lose our awe of the Lord. It's a dangerous thing. A very dangerous thing and it's a slippery slope because the more you go down to that place the the less you recognize God and the easier it is for you to remain in there and to slip further and further but they ask him Lord teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples I I imagine they seen the wonderful results that prayer had secured for Jesus' life, <clears throat> they seen the Spirit come upon him as the dove. They seen in uh, in the book of John where it says, as he was praying, the fashion of his countenance was transfigured, and his his raiment was gloriously white, that uh that that no bleach could bleach. Right, it was far beyond that. Uh, We've seen Jesus by commands had commanded demons to come out. This was all secured by the engine of prayer. You don't ask people to help teach you things that are worthless. Right? And and secondly, you're not going to teach people you're not going to ask people to teach you things that are valuable um, who, them, who they themselves don't know how to perform it. Right, I'm not going to go to, you know, an amateur and tell him, uh, ask him, hey, can you teach me, uh, uh, you know, amateur, you know, football? Hey, teach me football. I want to go to the best. I want to go to those who actually know what they're doing, who are credentialed in that, who have reputation, who are reputable, who have actually secured results. I'm not going to go to someone whose life is deficient in personal finances and say, hey, can you teach me uh, how to, you know. So the the, the disciples were not naive. They knew (coughs) this rabbi of ours. There's something phenomenal about his life of prayer and I want what he has. I want it. I'm desirous of it. In fact, uh, James, the, the Apostle, is, is uh, uh, known as uh, by church history as camel knees because there was callus on his knees for praying so much. What does that tell you? Um, let, let me assure you this and we'll move on to the following verse extended seasons of prayer or extended times of prayer is not worthless business. It's not worthless business. I remember Ian Bounds said that prayers outlive those who utter them for they are eternal in their nature. Prayers outlive those who have uttered them. So, verse 2, he says, he's. Oh, one other thing, it says, just as John taught his disciples. So, we see it's a common thing to be taught how to pray. So, in other words, there is a necessity for modeling. So, mothers, teach your children to pray, fathers, teach your children to pray. My boy just recently had a bad dream, and and I always pray for him. I pray that God would send warring angels to fight against those who would fight against him. That they would protect our home, that they would fight against our enemies, and put a wall of fire around around us. And my son always asks, uh, "Daddy, uh, pray that you that the Lord send a wall of fire." <laughs> yes. Yes, because he will. From the mouth of babes you have ordained praise. Right? But he just recently had a nightmare and um, my wife was putting him to bed and um, he wakes up and asks my wife for prayer. We're indoctrinating our children in the ways of the Lord. That's how it should be so that they will be mouthpieces for God, instruments for the Most High. Amen. And so, <clears throat> verse 2, he says, he said to them, when you pray, he didn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray. So, already, in, in the very nature of how Jesus framed this, implies that uh, that you will be doing this. When you pray. <clears throat> Do it in this fashion. And so what does that also say? Uh, Because he says, when you pray, say. In other words, there is a correct way of doing it, and there is an incorrect way of doing it. Because if you are to say this, that means there are certain things that you do not say. Let, let Let me correct, so let us go down. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And so right there the word Father um, it's the Greek word Patras but it's it's uh, a transliteration of, of the Aramaic term Abba and that speaks to a sense of endearment. <clears throat> what does that mean? We're coming to the Lord not as judge. We're coming to the Lord as Father. And it is in the nature of a father to give, and as we will see, Jesus, um, Jesus um, lets us know um, later on in the verses. He says, "Which of you fathers who are he says if you evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask?" And so, fatherhood implies a giving disposition. The Bible says in Proverbs that a father lays up uh, an inheritance for his children. And so connected to the idea of fatherhood is protection, is giving, is endearment. So, um, (laughs) yeah, they were predestined to believe that. But, father the lord is certainly a judge but he's more than a judge he's a father and the bible says in fact in romans chapter 8 he says he who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things so we see that the father is generous he's not reluctant in his giving and so that if he gave what was most difficult for heaven to give, then how will he not also along with Christ give us all things? So we can be encouraged to come to him. Some of us may not have been able to come to an earthly father for one reason or another, maybe because there was an absence of an earthly father, or maybe because he was abusive, or, or, Um, a tyrant but nevertheless you were unable to come to an earthly father but God is a far greater father than any earthly father can be the Bible says in the Psalms he is a father to a fatherless and he cares for the orphans and the widows he is a good father He is a good father. He is not a taskmaster. He is not a slave owner. He is a good father that cares for the welfare of his people. Hallelujah. I'm sensing even now the Holy Spirit is harping on your hearts and giving attention to some of the wounds of your hearts. The Holy Spirit wants to make your heart whole. To heal every wound. The Bible says He binds up our wounds. He binds them up. He doesn't allow them to fester. He doesn't leave you unattended. Because how many of you know that our Heavenly Father is also a Heavenly Physician? <clears throat> but it says when you pray say father. And so that that should elicit a response in our hearts that that should be encouragement enough to come to him with a sense of security. A sense of security and not insecurity. Insecurity is absent in the presence of our Father. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He says, the man who kneels before God can stand before any man. Amen. If you know how to kneel before the Father, you can stand before any demon, any man. Because you stand before His face. And so the faces of others don't intimidate. Amen. <clears throat> the following clause says, Hallowed be your name. Now I, I know this this is this will probably get me into some trouble with some crowds. <clears throat> um but I, I hope I never hear any of you pray this way. Oh God, we just want to thank you today. You know, we're so delighted to have you. You know, that sort of attitude. We just want to welcome you God and you know yeah just come on like come in our midst yeah And I'm 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 being, you know, theatrical here but and and I, it can come off as insulting but you know what I I I I firmly believe that's insulting to God because it's it's and here's the reason why It's a very shallow view And he's not, I've I've heard people say, I just talked to my friend. I talked to the man upstairs. No, he's not a man upstairs. That's not the God of the Bible. He is a reigning king who will rule the nations with a rod of iron and break the backs of his enemies. Do you understand? That's the Christ we serve, who is jealous for the Father's house. The Bible says, in, it, look, I want to pray like Jesus. I don't want to pray like the skinny jean pastor. I don't want to pray like the latte pastor. I want to pray like Jesus. And G, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 or 7, um, you know what? Um, if, if we can get that verse, just so that you know that I, I'm not injecting into the scriptures. This is what... The whole this is what the Word of God says um, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 this is what the word of the Lord reads during the days of Jesus life on earth he offered up prayers okay we're speaking of prayer here and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death fervent cries see this is why if fervent cries annoy you in prayer then you haven't experienced the inner chambers uh, uh, god's activity in the inner chambers of your soul that elicits those fervent cries do you understand if you have yet to encounter sub, such subjective experiences in the place of prayer such that you begin to offer up fervent cries, and fervent if you have not experienced that, when people offer up fervent cries, it's going to be annoying to you. I've heard people say this before, why do you got to pray like that? It's not because I want to pray like that, it's because I know God and His his spirit is alive. His spirit, spirit stirs. His spirit elicits a boiling fervor within my heart, such that it is inevitable that I cry in such ways. Amen. You know, the, the word zeal it comes from a Greek word that means to boil. To boil. To boil with what? To boil with fire. And the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. That's what the scripture says. Our God is a consuming fire. You know, the Bible describes lust as to be consumed. So when people are consumed with lust, there's a sense of sensual, earthly, natural a fire that consumes their their soul it it eats at them it eats at them do you understand that well does our our fervor in the place of prayer eat at us It eats us it consumes us. That's what it means to be consumed. When we say fire of God consume me, we're not literally saying may the wrath of God consume me as a sacrifice or something. But what we're saying that in a very experiential way, I want God's fire to eat at me. I want there to be a hunger, a desperation, a cry. Right, and it's not trying to manufacture cries. That's 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 worthless before God. It's rather we are so intimate with, we're enriched with such intimacy with our Lord, that His burden becomes our own, and we pray with the burden of Christ. You see that once again? I'll, I'll read it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. What other picture do we need uh, than the Garden of Gethsemane? Um, The Bible says, Being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. Being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. What does it say in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2? Epaphras, who's a fellow servant of of you all, he says, who is always struggling in his prayers on your behalf. That's the Greek word agonizome, that that is literally to say he agonizes to the point of exhaustion. It carries with it the idea of a wrestler who wrestles and strives for mastery and, and to win, to contest, to contend, right? Please and then I'll drop the point after this. Please explain to me how skinny jean latte pastor praying looks like that. This nonchalant attitude and the reason why I'm coming off like that is because, um, no, we don't we don't pray like that. It we mean business, and either it's a, it's a sweet sense of beautiful intimacy with God, or it's warfare. Right, it's intercession for the nations. This is serious business we're talking about, right? And so the Bible says, "Hallowed be your name." So, um, how how exactly would we approach a monarch, an earthly monarch, who couldn't have our head on a silver platter? We come with honor. We come with honor. Right? You know, the the Hebrew word in, uh, for the word honor means weight, to add weight to. That's why that nonchalant prayer is reflective of weightlessness. There's no weight. I'm not conferring honor. I'm not conferring weight to God. So therefore, when I come to him, I, I, I immediately say, I have this disposition and posture in my heart that says your presence is weighty. It is exceedingly weighty. And I come to you as such. You're a great king. And your name is worthy of all honor. And I'm not being religious. I'm not being fake. I really mean this stuff in my heart. And, I, Amen. and Jesus meant it in his heart too. You know that? and so when when we come to him um we come to him knowing that his name is hallowed it is holy it is in a category all by itself <clears throat> let let me let me turn your guys' attention real quickly to isaiah chapter 6 because i i want to support everything with the scriptures okay and so Um, I'm simply a mailman and I want us to know what the mail reads. I I don't know. Look, see the Bible ain't the junk mail that you get in the, the mail. I don't know for those of you in Europe, but here in America, we get inundated with a bunch of junk mail, like coupons. We never look at and we just throw away and stuff like that. Am I the only one or you guys actually give attention to that? Isaiah chapter 6, and and, you know, have you guys ever gotten those, like, you won uh, something like a free car or something, or like a raffle, and like they even have a key attached, it's like, man, that's fake, like, I don't know who gets duped for that stuff. (laughs) But we're reading the Lord's, the Lord's letter, right, his mail to us, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. (coughs) With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, <clears throat> how is I- Isaiah the prophet is a holy man? And look at his expression when he comes into the presence of a king. He understands the Lord is holy, holy, holy. is a thrice, thrice holy God. And Jesus, when to add emphasis upon his statements and upon his teachings, he would, he would preface by saying, verily, verily. And see, so Hebrews repeated themselves to add stress to what they were going to, to utter. And the most something is given repetition in the scriptures are three times. So this means this is of the utmost importance. This is of the utmost stress. And so if it's saying, holy, 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 what does the Lord want us to understand? about his nature, that he is peculiar, unique, separate, an entirely different category all by himself. Right? The Bible says he is God, and apart from him there is no other. So, what do we understand from this? When Jesus is teaching us, hallowed be your name. And see, in in our modern times, we think that name is just You know, I'm going to look at my name and see its meaning. But the word in the Greek, anomatos, means authority or name. Basically, the whole essence of the person. The person's identity was wrapped up in their name. And so, when the Lord is saying um, that we are to approach Him and say, hallowed your name. See, we can say that with our lips, but not meet it in our hearts. We must approach Him and mean it with our very being. Amen? Amen. In other words, we need to have a very high view of God. One other thing I wanted to say about that. What did demons do when Jesus approached them? What does the Bible say in James when the name of Jesus is uttered? It says, Demons tremble, they shake, they shudder at the mention of His name. At the mention. Now I'm not suggesting that we come with terror. But what I am suggesting is this, that there are many demons, that all demons have more sense than most pastors. Put respect on the Lord's name. Revere it and honor it. Amen. Psalm 50 verse 21. You thought that I was one like yourself. The Lord is not like us. Don't come to him like a buddy old pal. Come to him as king. And come to him as a holy father. Because if you come to him inappropriately. The Lord reserves the right to not answer a single one of your prayers. And we see in Luke 18 that there is a way in which you can pray that you're praying quote, thus to yourself end quote. Amen. The Bible says the Pharisee standing praying thus to himself. Isn't that interesting? You can pray to yourself. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Uh, following that clause that says your kingdom come right let me me clear this up because I really feel led to say this Um, this doesn't mean that we can't approach him as father okay and that there isn't a sense of relationship that's certainly a facet and an aspect of God and that is perfectly legitimate what I'm warning against is don't come to him nonchalantly don't come to him as if he's just like everybody else. Okay? He, he The Lord is holy, so come to him with reverence. Okay? So, um, the following clause says, Your kingdom come. What does Jesus say in Matthew? What is his teaching? He says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and everything is, will be added unto you. This is why in the order, and this outline and it is just that. It's an outline. It it Jesus did not intended intend for this to be recited like the Catholics often do. Right? It this actually when you recite this as a mere um almost like an incantation um or a re, just a mere recitation this actually contradicts what Jesus intended us uh, it contradicts the way in which Jesus wanted us to pray. He says, "Don't be like the pagans who just babble, think that they're heard for their many words. We're not heard just because we 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 follow this exact uh, citation and then regurgitate it back to God. We are not heard for that. This is a this is an outline. Okay, this is this is a structure in the way in which we're to pray. But Jesus, in the the priority of importance." notes his kingdom coming before our daily bread. And this this is reflective of what he taught us in Matthew chapter 6 or 7, if I'm not mistaken. He says, seek first the kingdom, then these things shall be added. Right? So even before our daily bread, that daily bread will come if we seek first the kingdom. Amen. So, God wants you to take care of His business, and He will take care of yours. Right? So, why is it that some believers are lacking? Why is it that some believers can never get breakthrough in their finances? Why is it that some Christians can never get ba- breakthrough with uh, the things that they want in life? It's because they got the cart before the horse. It's because that they're seeking their interest above the interests of God. And if the moment you begin to serve your interest before the interest of God, God says, go ahead and you take care of it yourself then. Amen. The grace of God will only sustain you where the grace of God leads. This is why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the Lord's blessing adds no sorrow to it. You know, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, people have tried to rationalize says, you know, brother, you don't understand that this woman is for me or this brother is for me. Oh, really? Why is it? Why is it that you're so downtrodden, downcast and sorrowful? That sounds like a real rich blessing from the Lord, don't you think? No, it's not. It's not a rich blessing from the Lord. The Lord's blessings doesn't add sorrow. Amen. <clears throat> you don't have to. You don't have to be frustrated in trying to secure the plans of God for your life. The, when frustration enters, it's because you're off track. It's either you're trying to do God's will in your strength, or you're trying to do your will in God's strength. But God ain't interested in providing you strength the moment you say, "I'm doing what I will." That is the moment that grace is uh, the grace has no circulation. There's no blood flow of God's grace to your life. You cut off circulation. This is why Paul talks about when you're taking communion in an unworthy manner, which he actually equates to not discerning the body and as a consequence, sinning against the body. He says, as a result of this, some of you have become Weak. What does that mean? When you go against the body, you'll go against the head. As a consequence, weakness always sets in. Spiritual destitution. Spiritual poverty. Did he not say to the Laodiceans, you said I have increased in goods and I have need of nothing. But you don't realize you really are poor, and you're blind, and you're miserable, and you're naked. I counsel thee to buy of me, I self, so that you may see. You know, there's certain things in God that can only be bought and are not gifts. I counsel you to buy from me. Does it not say in Proverbs, buy truth and sell it not? With all your getting, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. But he says, your kingdom come. The Greek word there is basileos. And it basically means a royal rule. So Jesus wants to extend his royal rule to the uttermost parts of the earth. He wants his kingdom in your life, in your home, in your heart, and in this world. his rulership his lordship to ev- for everything to come underneath that so let me ask you guys this question are you praying in that fashion are you praying after that manner are you saying lord your kingdom come because let me let me shed some light on what it means to pray the opposite if we're not praying his kingdom come you're praying for your kingdom come and guess what your kingdom is the devil's kingdom I know I I hate to put it that plainly to you, but the essence of all satanic philosophy hinges upon this simple statement, Do what thou wilt. Whether that means morality, whether that's being a good citizen, whether that's um, even doing things um, for the community, or being a, uh, an activist, or human rights, or humanitarian services. It doesn't matter how good we put, put a spin on it. If at the end of the day, it's not what the Lord Jesus Christ himself wills, it is what the devil wills. And the devil is in the business of humanitarian service. Just ask Satanists. The devil doesn't care if we're moral. We, he just wants us godless. And you can be moral and godless. In fact, you can be godly, that is to say you have God in your life, and still need some reinforcement of morals. Hey bro, you need to kind of shape this up a little bit in this area. You can have God on you and God in your life and you still have some character flaws. But you can be a very polished, moral person and be godless. So we're looking for His kingdom. We're praying for his kingdom. Don't waste your breath praying for your will. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, that this is a confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the things we have asked. So it's not a mere speculation. I know. I have true knowledge that I currently have the things for which I've asked him, I have them, doesn't mean that they've manifested just yet. Amen. Some of you already have wives. They just haven't come yet. (laughs) Some of you have husbands. They just haven't come yet. All right. Some of you have that healing ministry. It just hasn't manifested yet. Amen. There's that verse in the chat. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. So there is confidence in approaching God. Let me ask you this, my brothers and sisters. When you pray, do you have confidence before God? That's the Greek word pistis. It means I have faith. I have faith in God. This is what Jesus instructed us in Mark chapter 11. Verse 22, have faith in God. I assure you that if you do not doubt in your heart, but you say to this mountain, be thou removed, it shall shall, uh, uh, obey. Right? Do we have confidence before the Lord that I don't have to finesse? I can come to my father assured that if it is his will and I'm praying for this job, I have it. I know I do. I I come to the Lord knowing that there are deficiencies or there are lacks in my finances. I know He will come through. Why? Because I am insistent on obeying His will and following through with His prerogatives, with His endeavors, His interests. Amen. Right? You know... I don't know if you've ever seen some of those those little kids that um, they think they're so high and mighty and they'll, like, backtalk adults and they'll kind of stand up to them. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen some of those movies where, like, you know, a much larger person says, what do you want, pipsqueak? Well, you know, or have you ever seen those movies where, like, someone real tall is, like, holding the person's head and the guy just can't get to them? Well... I, I almost imagine that that's how a lot of people who fight against the will of God are. <clears throat> there's no, there's no chance. There's no match. Even in the book of Revelation, all they set, all the kings and the rulers of the earth set themselves against the Lord. You know, an angel in the book of Isaiah first chronicles if i'm not mistaken slaughtered 145,000 people one single angel how much more can the lord by the sword of his mouth do and my point in saying that is this that self same god if we're if we are in him and seeking his will no man no demon can stand against him So guess what? The things that you are pursuing are secure. And no demon, no man can stand against. Because you're seeking His will. And He always defends His cause. Amen. Always. Woe unto the man who fights against the cause of God. Woe unto the woman who fights against the cause of God the sorcerer in the book of Acts had to learn the hard way when he got struck blind you don't pervert the ways of the Lord right you don't fight against his hand that's what happens to the enemies of the Lord their day is coming right but my point though is this that can lend us confidence that when we come to the Lord and we seek his will we have those things um, your kingdom come. Okay, Are we praying for his kingdom? Are we praying for the advancement of missions? Are we praying that godliness and holiness would be fashioned in us? Are we praying for the salvation of our loved ones? Are we praying for corruption to come down? Are we praying against abortion? Are we praying against Islam? Are we praying for these things? Are we praying that God would use us? Because if that is our prayer, the the Lord's countenance shines upon us. His favor and His blessing rests upon us. And the favor of God, I I want to say this with with complete confidence, the favor of God will lead you beyond what you had thought for yourself is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we may ask or think according to His power at work in us. He has a way of surprising all of us. The favor of God that brings glory to our lives, that doesn't leave us impoverished, that doesn't leave us destitute, that doesn't leave us regretful, that doesn't leave us sorrowful. That is our portion as the people of God. Give us each day our daily bread. We'll be wrapping up. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Um, You know, I remember, if I'm not mistaken, Brother Daniel had pointed out that the Lord did not say for us to pray for our weekly bread. When the Israelites had gone out and to get manna, they were not to do it on a weekly basis. And and he, I believe him, Daniel mentioned, we're not sure why the Lord did this. And I began to reflect on it. Well, I think largely because Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow for sufficient today is the problem thereof. The Lord doesn't want us to have weekly burdens on us before he knows daily burdens are sufficient. But this isn't only speaking with respect to food, because I know people have said, you know, um, you know, our fridges are full, uh, why do we need to pray for daily? There's other daily necessities that you and I need. And this encompasses petitions. Petitions are, parti- are requests before the Lord. One of the things I wanted to mention in the beginning, when Jesus says, pray, when you pray, the Greek word there is prosyuchamai and uh, the greek word proskuneo means to worship and that that, that is conjoined with the idea of prosuchemai is is prayer connected to worship and it encompasses all fashions of prayer whether that's intercession or if that's petition or that's confession so this is a very general activity of prayer that assumes the idea of worship so but this particular uh, uh, verse here when it's asked when it says for us to pray for our daily bread is a petition. That is the form of prayer we're talking about is petition is requests Lord I need this and then he gives in response right And so what are your daily needs? Some of it is um, Lord, help me to increase in wisdom. Help me to increase in knowledge. Help me to increase in my understanding. Lord, give me patience. I need patience for today. How many of us need patience? I know I need it. If there's a virtue I need, I need patience. I was telling my wife, I'm, I'm pretty good at long suffering. I can suffer for long periods of time. But it's the little things that make me impatient. And I I, I need I need help in that area because I just want to go. I just want to go. Lord help me. May I be patient. Lord help me to maintain my purity. I don't want to succumb to um, fornication. Lord help me in the area of purity. Help me in my job. Help me in my marriage give me direction you can bombard heaven I I, rem- <laughs> I remember some years back my 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 when I first got saved the the pastor who had baptized me I remember he was sharing this testimony how there is this individual in church who always... Like ran on and on and on about her problems, right? And and um, and then uh, he said, uh, <laughs> "I'm sorry, but this was funny." He said, um, "I don't know if he told her or if he was saying to us that he was thinking in his head." He said, "You know, sister," he says, "he says you can go to God. He can listen much longer than we can." <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to pay for service, right? No collect calls or anything like that. No no drop calls. Heaven's always available for you to call if you do it appropriately. Amen. <clears throat> forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Uh, Jesus says... And, um Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, if I'm mistaken, he says, or it might be verse 26, he says, but if you stand, forgive those who have sinned against you. And he's speaking this in the context of prayer. He says, for if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. The Bible says... Um, You know, to live, he says, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way that your prayers be not hindered. See, a lot of times that we have, when we have friction with people and we're holding unforgiveness in our hearts and we're allowing the sun to go down on our wrath. God, our prayers become hindered. So the reason why is because there is a blockage. There is a clog in the artery of prayer. And the blood flow cannot get through. You have to get that out. And let, let me clarify this. To ask for you to forgive other people isn't for you to become buddy-buddy with them. And to for them to become your best of friend. That's not what it means. The Greek word is mean um, It simply means to I permit or I let go. In other words, I permit for the injury that has uh, incurred, I permit for it, and I do not exact payment. So let me give you an example. If someone um, wrecks into your car, and you say, I forgive this debt, you literally let it go, and you incur the injury. You pay the injury. You permit for that to occur, Right? That's what it means, literally. It doesn't mean that you're buddy-buddy uh, with them or that you're some sort of intimate friend with them now or or we got some great connection or that we even have to pick up where we left off. You just say, I permit for that injury to incur. I will pay that payment. I'm not going to exact payment from you. Amen. You let go. What do you let go You let go of the right that you have that could exact payment from them. That's all it is. And so, forgive us. And our motivation is what? Is that the Lord has forgiven us. Amen? That's our motivation. Amen. What, I think Paul says this in Colossians. He says, "Forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you." But did it not Did not Jesus say, "Those who have been forgiven much love much"? The Bible says, actually, in Second Peter that when when it says, "Add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity." It says, "For if you possess these traits in increasing measure, it will pre- prevent you from being." Unproductive and ineffective in your knowledge of God, he says, but if these are lacking, it says, this person has for is is uh, near I think nearsighted or far sighted has for and has forgotten that they have been purged from their old sins. So our remembrance of God having forgiven our sins leads to productivity in Christ. And our flourishing of godliness. Do you still remember brothers and sisters. How great of a sin the Lord has forgiven and he has passed over. He has permitted for the angel of death to pass over your home. Because the blood has been applied. Romans eight verse one: There is now, therefore, now uh, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter five verse one: Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Romans chapter five verses eight through ten: It says. For it says, very rarely will a good man die for a righteous person, but for God has demonstrated his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Having now, he says, since we have been now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? The wrath of God that is described in Isaiah, where it says, I will trample the people in my anger and spatter my garments with their blood. That is the anger and the wrath of God that has been passed over. That is what God saved you from. God saved you from Himself. His fierce indignation and wrath against the peoples has been passed over, has been satisfied in full by the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed for our sins. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Every last sin, whether that was pornography or fornication or drugs or uh, uh, or. Alcohol, drunkenness, whatever the case is, the Lord has satisfied His wrath in full because of the atoning and sufficient work on a hill called Calvary and when He rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Majesty on high, who now lives to make intercession for us. So if there's any incitement that we have in our hearts to motivate us to pray it's because of this, the faithful intercessor still remains The a high priest on our behalf interceding for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every last sin paid in full. He's forgiven every last one of them. So don't let the devil continue to rob you of joy bringing back to your remembrance the things that you regret says the Bible says that we can be purified from an evil conscience, from a guilty conscience, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, sprinkled with clean water. As David cried in Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Have mercy upon me, O God, According to thy lovingkindness, and according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. For my sin is ever before me. Against thee thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. That you may prove right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Hallelujah. Like David cried in yeah. Psalm 32, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute sin. For the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, and that is the confidence in which we stand when we come to the Lord, knowing that He can completely and fully forgive. Because we stand by the righteousness of Christ, on His sufficient, on His uh, complete work, <clears throat> um, and lead us not into temptation. Okay. And in Matthew's account, he says, uh, he adds to it, and deliver us from the evil one. Or some translation says, deliver us from evil. But I'm taking it that um, it's deliver us from the evil one, because Paul also says in 2 Timothy, he says, he will rescue me from the mouth of the lion and deliver me from every evil attack. Okay. And so let me let me turn your attention real quickly to Psalm fifty no Psalm sixty four. Psalm sixty four. Um, this is the way in which David prayed when there were enemies coming against him. It says, verse one: Hear m- me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evil doers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning, but God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads and scorn. All people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder what he has done. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. Lord, throw the enemies in confusion. May their plans not succeed. May no weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. Deliver us from every evil attack. Deliver us from the evil one. And God is our refuge and strength. God is our hope. Right? Psalm 91, He who takes refuge in the shelter of the Most High shall rest under the shelter of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou find refuge. The Lord is my buckler in salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the light and my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men assail me, even it is then that I will make the Lord my refuge. Well let me ask us this question: Do we have trust that he is? Do we come to him as our first resort, not our last? Do we have confidence when Pharaoh's armies are approaching us and we come to those to the Red Sea? Does it not say in Isaiah that as you pass through the waters, you should not be drowned? as you pass through the fire, you should not be burned? Lead us not into temptation. This should be a daily prayer. In fact, what I've learned is you must pray it until the temptation ceases. Don't think that just because you've prayed this, that it's enough. You prayed until the temptation flees. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's just read through verse 5 to 11. um, or importunity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So in closing, I want us to take away from this in the Lord's Prayer that a big key to effective effectiveness in this holy art of prayer is that we don't merely bank on our friendship with the Lord to secure results. There are certain things that friendship can secure. Friendship alone. Like the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham, because Abraham was a friend of God, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? There are certain things the Lord will not hide from you because you are his friend. For the servant know not what his master does, but I now call you friends, is what Jesus says. So the the Bible says that the secret counsels of the Lord belong unto those who are intimate with Him. It says this in the Psalms. Right? But, there are certain results that only a stubborn, beggarly, insistent, persistent, consistent asking will lend to you. There are some things that only that and that alone will secure for you. Amen? That Sometimes you are asking on your first and second, and you're already frustrated saying, why hasn't this come? But the Lord wants you to keep pressing, to keep drilling, to keep knocking, to keep asking, to keep petitioning. I can give countless examples. Paul is an example. He didn't pray once. He didn't pray twice. He prayed three times. And on the third time, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Was it not Jesus who prayed three tar- times in one prayer sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane for the Lord's will to be done and not his? Was it not uh, uh, Moses who was on Mount Sinai for 40 days praying? You see, it is a taxing business to continue to pray but the lord promises that if you put your effort there the lord will put his effort on behalf of your business so and we see that our continual asking isn't because god is not a good father we would be tempted to think that man if my if i have to keep asking someone it shows that they're reluctant and not willing But the Lord is not reluctant for whatever reason. And here's one of the things that I think I think that is is a platform for spiritual transformation. And it's for that precise reason the Lord has you hang on in prayer because in your continual praying that your character is being fashioned and changed after the conformity of Christ's image more and more. And when he actually finally gives you that thing for what you've been asking, the value of it isn't diminished when you receive it. It's actually Amen. more value that you place on it once you receive it. Amen. Because if everything God gave you in a moment's time, you would begin to treat God like a genie, and he ain't like that. Let me just let me just rub the the what is it the I don't even know what you call it the lamp the lamp there you go. No, there's no rubbing lamps in the kingdom. It's not magical. It's not this mere formula. It's an art, the art of prayer that we continue to come before the Lord, and so in math in Luke chapter 18, actually Jesus teaches on. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he teaches on persistence in prayer. And the Bible says this, and I quote, Jesus spoke a parable to them unto this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. So he, from the beginning, recognizes you're going to have a temptation to faint. But don't. And at the end of that parable, he says, When the Son of Man comes to earth, shall he find faith? So when the Son of Man comes to the earth, shall He find you, not with an absence of faith, but with a presence of faithfulness to prayer. And in that parable, the Bible says, Shall not God avenge His elect who cry out to Him both day and night? And so what does that say? It's an insight that lends us to this idea that not only... Does God want you to pray daily for the same thing? There are times that He wants you to pray more than once in the same day for that same exact thing. Cry both day and night. Bible says in Isaiah, Give me rest neither day nor night, and put me in remembrance, says the Lord. So, are we putting God in remembrance? You might say, well, how does that make sense? He knows everything. Well, that's what he taught us. I'm not going to try to philosophically explain that. But the Lord knows all. And yes, he does know the needs that we have even before we ask, Jesus said. But he still wants you to put him in remembrance. Because it's in our putting him in remembrance that it puts us in remembrance. Why is the Lord going to remember if you forgot? How bad do we we want those things for which we ask? Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I want us to remember this. In summation, we come to the Lord as Father as a generous father but we come to him reverently and we come seeking his will and his kingdom not our own and in the seeking of his kingdom he promises to provide all of our needs but the conditions on which these needs are met is that we have a pure heart that forgives the debts of others and we keep ourselves clean and free from unforgiveness bitterness grudges Lest our prayers be hindered. And he's taught, he teaches us when we come knocking, it may even be at an inconvenient time, right? And you're pounding on the door. And the man says, You know, leave me alone, I'm with my children. This is an inconvenient time. But do you still continue to pound and still continue to knock? Knock, knock, knock until your knuckles begin to hurt and saying, I need something right or, or or we we've we've relapsed we we've given up the bible says the, the god he wants to breathe on you and give you life so that you can continue in your asking see we're coming to one who has more riches than Donald Trump and Bill Gates and Elon Musk combined amen what hinders us in our asking it is ours for the taking It's ours for the taking. What is it that you need before God? Where is your area of deficiency? Where is your area of lack? Where is your area of need? The Lord wants to supply those needs. May we enlarge our hearts. May we enlarge our hearts yet again and have no reservations and we begin to surrender to Him. Amen. I want to close now. I want to close in prayer. But I want to urge you. Make this a lifestyle. The Puritans used to say this. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. A good training wheels for me, as I've mentioned before, is that I make it a habit to pray no less than an hour. And I say that not to gloat. I say that so that you can make it a habit. I would encourage you, I would challenge you to set aside an hour every day to pray to the Lord. And for you to pray until you pray. What I mean is that your prayers make wings and you actually begin to take off. And the more you do that, the more difficult it will be for you to not pray to the Lord. I assure you. Because this habit will become a lifestyle and be ingrained into your very DNA. And you will begin to see the hand of God move so marvelously in your life. And secure results beyond your imagination. Don't allow the devil to beat you out of this place because poverty will follow you. Poverty of spirit will follow you. And I don't want you to be blind men and blind women because those who are prayerless are blind. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care if you know the Greek. I don't care if you've been to seminary. I don't care what your background is. You will remain a blind man. Even if you have great intuition, you have great life experience, you're intelligent, socially intelligent, relationally intelligent. It doesn't matter because the ways of the Lord are locked behind those who can see in the spirit. Amen. Don't be shadow boxing. You strengthen your faculties and your ability to be receptive to the voice of God. But if you only live in the flesh and you don't engage in spiritual activity, what happens as a consequence is your natural senses only become stronger and your spiritual senses become diminished in its strength and receptivity. So strengthen your muscles. Become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So let let us uh, pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray for the spirit of supplication and grace to come upon each uh, person under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, strengthen them. Holy Spirit, fill them. Holy Spirit, loose their tongues that they may ask, Lord. Loose their tongues that they may make this, Lord, a lifestyle, Father, and not an event. Father, I pray, God, may you kindle, may you rekindle the fire, Lord, in their hearts that they may have an altar of prayer, Lord, that they would, just like in the book of Revelation, continue to offer up incense, Father, that they would not retract, they would not backslide, Lord, in prayer. But Lord, teach them to commune with you, teach them to worship you, teach them, O Lord. Father, incite and awaken holy appetite, awaken holy desires, awaken, Lord, we pray. Awaken, God, we ask. May we not slumber nor sleep, Father, but may we awake, as the Bible says in Ephesians, that Christ may shine on us. O Lord, shine forth. He who dwells in the midst of the cherubim, shine forth. Shine forth on us, Lord. Shine forth on our situation. Teach us, Lord. Father, I ask in Jesus' name... For those who have grown discouraged, for those who have grown so uh, despondent and and dismayed and discouraged, Lord, that they no longer ask of you. Holy Spirit, rejuvenate them. Teach them yet again, O Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray for those who feel guilty, Lord. Lord, that they would not feel guilty, they would feel hungry. Father, I pray that guilt will not paralyze. In Jesus' mighty name, wash them with the blood of Jesus. Empower them by your Spirit, God. Your Word says that your Spirit helps us in all of our weaknesses. Your Spirit helps us, Lord, in all of our weaknesses, God. Begin to help us in our weaknesses now, Lord. I pray for the manifestation of your Spirit now would fall upon your people, Lord. May your manifest presence come, O oh God, and begin, Lord, to fashion us, Lord. Begin to change us, Lord. Begin to transform us, Lord. Begin to make us a holy breed of people, Father, that will be, a, will be reflective of your praise in the earth. Hallelujah. I want you even now begin to move your lips and begin to pray. I want you to begin to move your lips and begin to pray. Only the dead don't pray. Only the dead don't offer up words. But among the living are praises. Among the living are petitions. Among the living is worship. Father, I pray for a spirit of worship. An attitude of worship, Lord, would be found, Lord, among our, uh, among these people. In our midst, God, right now, Father, meet them with your holy presence wherever they're at, God. In Jesus' name, I pray that you banish anxiety. I pray that you banish depression. I pray that you banish suicidal thoughts, God. In Jesus' mighty name, I'm hearing that someone you're dealing with anxiety, and and you're dealing with depression. I want I want to see everybody continue to pray. Who who is that? You're dealing with anxiety, and it's it's pretty crippling. If you can put amen in the chat or me or something. I don't want you to be ashamed or embarrassed. I want to pray for you. I'm sorry, could you put me... I see I see several amens and now I lost track. Let us continue to pray, stay in an attitude of prayer.